Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. So welcome to another episode of HashiCast. And this week, we're really excited to have Liz Rice from Aqua Security for us, with, with, for us, with us, Liz, anyway. Liz is working for a, a security-based startup, which is looking at things like automation and things around like container-based security. And, and she's also given some amazing presentations over the last sort of few years. I think Liz won like best presentation at DockerCon last year. Your GopherCon presentation was one of the, the highest rated. Golang UK. I mean, basically, if... If anybody wants to know who Liz is and doesn't know who Liz is, just check out YouTube and watch some of her great presentations. Um, so Liz has also just chaired KubeCon and CloudNativeCon Europe uh, on the CFP panel and is also going to be, I believe, doing America and China later on this year. So more on that, I hope. Um, and she's also going to be out at DockerCon as well as, I believe, you're also writing a book on Kubernetes security or something for a yeah, while. Yeah, I'm uh, co-authoring Kubernetes security with Michael Hausenplatz from Red Hat. So yeah, that'll be exciting to work on over the next uh, little while. If, if there's anything I've, I've missed on the intro, why, why don't you sort of, I mean, you know you better than I know you, so why don't you give us a bit of a, a sort of a, a CV of the oh. world of Liz? Um, so I, my background is engineering. I spent many years writing um, network post-call software, um, which turned out to not be very good sort of for conversations, you know, parties. So I stopped doing that for a bit and I joined Skype and I moved into sort of product roles for a bit um, and did then I went to the US for a couple of years got bitten by the whole startup bug worked on some startups um, one of them uh, was coming to an end and a friend of mine said oh that's great you should stop doing that TV recommendations thing you're working on and come and work in this new technology called containers it's really exciting and it will get you back to your kind of heartland of um, you know distributed systems and, and the kind of nuts and bolts of engineering which I hadn't really done for a while and uh, uh, that, that was um, Anne Curry and it was a, a startup we did called Force 12 uh, and uh, I learned a ton about containers I started doing talks about what I'd learned about containers um, and uh, again it was a startup that didn't you know turn into a business success but it did end up you know, teaching me a lot about containers and getting me into this world that I'm in now. We we first met because of your work that you were doing with microscaling. Um, I thought that was a killer tech. I mean, that, I cannot believe that that didn't take off. That was so perfect for the market right now. It, it's quite nice to see um, a lot of the pod auto-scaling things that are going on in the Kubernetes world, because um, that's kind of what we were looking at with microscaling, you know, real-time scaling of containers in response to metrics. Um, I think, you know, we were at the wrong time, but we probably didn't have the business skills to, to do it. You know, we had the technology, but, uh, but anyway, we've moved on. We learned a lot. We had a lot of fun. I watched a really interesting uh, TED talk about, um, and it was by one of the the investors, and he, and he was basically saying there's there's kind of three things to to solve with tech startup. One is the the, the technology itself. 
The second one is funding, but the most important thing is the timing. If you are ahead of the market or behind the market, then you have a problem. And, and he was kind of citing some of the the early attempts to do Netflix style things, which were brilliant pieces of technology, great teams, great products, but just a little bit too, too ahead of the market. Uh, and well, Netflix. Timing is important and having people who are prepared to actually pay for the products. I mean, well, there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down about how open source software business models work or don't work um, but it's kind of interesting um, going from my um, failed startup in the container world to joining Aqua where it's a product it's a security product for containers so we've got the alignment of businesses who really are prepared to spend money to make sure their deployments are secure combined with the sort of timing of containers just absolutely taking off um, and a really great team and a really great product. So it's all kind of aligning. But as you say, exactly, you need the team, you need the funding, you need the product, you need the market to be ready. It's so tough. And and I'm looking I'm looking forward to, to talking a little bit more about Aqua because as you say, I think um, the, the timing's right, the team's right, the technology's right there. But uh, I know Mishra's itching to ask some questions about uh, what you've actually been up to outside of tech. Let's take a step back from containers because we, we usually live and breathe that every day. <laughs> uh, so, I, so we did some research uh, and we found that you like drumming and biking. So I have two questions for you. One is, have you biked recently? And second, do you have a band so Nick and I can join because we both play guitars? So I think Nick can take the lead guitar, I'll play. We should definitely start that. We should definitely start that. <laughs> um, yeah, so biking, yes. Um, I was out this weekend on my bike in like real life outdoors. But recently I've been doing a lot of, it's called Zwift. It's like virtual reality cycling. Um, so I think by the time this podcast comes out, I will be allowed to say this, so I'm going to say it now anyway. Um, I've been selected for a thing called the CBR World Cup. So I'm going to Los Angeles around about the same time as this podcast comes out. I'll be in LA riding a bike in the velodrome in LA. Wow. Oh, my God. But in virtual reality, and it's, it's nuts. It's insane. That is so <laughs> unique, I feel. I haven't heard of anything like that. If, if this podcast goes out because it's actually snowing in London today and we all know that like snow in London is the first sort of signs of Armageddon. So this podcast may never go out. I may never make it to LA. But, you know, if it snows, the planes will be grounded. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm, I'm uh, really pleased to you. That sounds great fun. Really good fun. It's actually the second time I've did, done it. I um, got selected uh, for the event in September, and which was in Paris. And it was brilliant fun there's like real professional athletes and a lot of fun and a bit of craziness it's 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 tough but brilliant so it was the second time you tried it and then you got selected for the for the actual like the main race oh no 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 it was a, this is the second time i've been selected for the world cup so, okay that makes sense oh okay I, I, well. you know, i'm probably getting selected because there's not that many women doing it yet so <laughs> but still yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put yourself down. I think uh, you're probably getting selected because you're pretty epic. I'm working pretty um, well. <laughs> and it's a nice way to spend the winter as well because it's it's just been cold and damp and cold and damp is is not good good weather. But we're gonna I 
I'm British, you're British. We could spend this entire 30 minutes just talking about the weather and Mishra is just going to stare at us like we're crazy. No, it, I, to, to be honest, Vancouver people love talking about weather too. Like all the, the day-to-day conversation is about the weather and it's usually raining or it's snowing. So, you know, there's not much, there's not much going on there. So it's very similar to the UK. But let's get back to the tech. You know, application security is, is very much at the forefront of, of everybody's mind at the moment and, and I think for the right the right reasons there's been some some big leaks and some big sort of problems uh, over the last couple of years what do you think the kind of the major problems are that we're facing at the moment with application security and, and kind of how does this differ from from how it used to be well I think in some ways it's not different it's just an arms race you know it's attackers trying to find holes and gaps in people's security and and exploit those gaps, whether they're exploiting them to um, exfiltrate data that they can get value from, or I guess the one thing that is new is trying to use resources to mine cryptocurrency, which seems to be the basis of some recent high-profile attacks like um, Tesla. Um, So I guess that's one thing that's slightly different, Um, but it's not completely novel. I think people were probably, you know, having their... AWS accounts hacked just to be able to use compute in the past. But now people have a really obvious direct link between using that compute and turning it into monetary value. We're actually using the Zoom stream right now to mine cryptocurrency. (laughs) On my laptop, probably. (laughs) On, On your laptop, yeah. There should be like a little counter clicking up telling me how much you're making as we talk. You wouldn't mind if, if you actually got a got a cut, but um, it. Uh, I tried to mine cryptocurrency once. I did a, a little experiment where I, I decided I was going to spend thirty bucks worth of compute time to see if I could mine thirty bucks worth of cryptocurrency. Um, I actually mined five cents worth of Bitcoin out of those thirty bucks worth of compute, which. Um, actually is probably a million dollars the way Bitcoin has rose over the last few years, but... Did you hold on to it? <laughs> I've got no idea where it is. It's, it's, um, it's, it's gone forever. Yeah. The trouble is how much resources those, you know, cryptocurrencies, they're just using incredible amounts of electricity, basically. I read somewhere that it's already equivalent to the uh, electric- electricity use of, from Iceland, I think it was. And that's kind of worrying, I think, as well. I mean, sort of Seth gave a really good um, keynote at HashiConf last year where he talked about the ecological sort of impact of computing. That was a great talk, actually. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was super like, um, it really kind of hits home because you don't necessarily think about these things. You know, electricity is, it's not free. It, it sort of takes resources and unfortunately quite a lot of fossil resources to, to create. With with the sort of security challenges, do you do you think that these these issues that we have right now are they are they only really sort of enterprise related? Because obviously the news only kind of covers large enterprise companies when when there's a breach. Or do you think that everybody should be concerned about security at the moment? I think everybody needs to be, and in many ways, you know, we're, we're all kind of uh, you know our day to day existence. We have spam filters on email and and you know we probably all have our relatives calling us up going should i click on this link or not or or more likely i think i clicked on the wrong link 
<laughs> something bad has happened. Um, you know, and you can see the, the effects of all sorts of different attacks. You know, we hear about them in the news, but they're probably also hitting, um, you know, ordinary people. Um, but obviously, the, the from a hacker's point of view, they're, they're more interested in stealing large amounts of compute or stealing large amounts of, of data. So I think that's where the real interest lies and where the value lies. The, the more that sort of um, exploits can be automated, I suspect then that increases the, the, the people who are going to be affected, you know, that rather than the attackers just going after the big organizations, if they can automate an attack and actually achieve a, a similar um, a similar harvest of, of data by attacking, say, 100 or 200 smaller organizations which aren't as well protected, then that's something that they're potentially going to sort of uh, go, go after. So I suppose it, it, but it's difficult, right? I mean, I think some of the tooling that Aqua is doing makes it easy because I feel that when I look at security, you really have to be an expert and I'm not an expert and it, it kind of, it's difficult. Um, so with tooling and things like that, how is that helping the, the average organization to, to be able to, to keep ahead in terms of application security? Yeah, sure. So I guess I have the perspective of somebody who's only come into security, you know, around about a year ago. So I kind of feel the, the pain of sort of going, well, I don't know anything about security and, and ramping up on it over, over the last few months, really, um, to a position where now I feel like I know quite a lot about it. And a lot of it is, um, you know, relatively common sense, um, you know, things like, uh, you know, don't leave your... Um, Kubernetes UI unprotected, you know, which is the, the source of what um, Tesla did. Um, you know, don't leave your AWS account credentials sitting in a public GitHub repo. There's all sorts of common sense things that, you know, you don't need to be a security expert to realize that's probably not a very good idea. Um, I think, I mean, there's obviously a lot of um, in-depth the research that goes on there's some incredible um, knowledge that I've seen we have a research team at, um, at Aqua for example and the kind of creativity that they'll come up with to kind of uncover an exploit that requires you know eight different moving parts to, to all line up at once for something to, to happen or um, things like the dirty cow exploit which relied on timing you know it's it's so creative that was seriously cool. I mean, the um, just crazy, like an exploit in time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the kind of yeah, I can't really believe that anybody knows everything there is to know about all things security. But um, increasingly, I think, particularly for enterprises, it's important for you know as we go into this whole DevOps world and um, for people in that, you know, somewhere in that DevOps continuum to have like a grasp and a little bit of confidence about some basic security measures. Um, you know, automation is hugely important these days and a lot of these security things can be built in. It's one of the things that we do at Aqua, for example, with image scanning. You know, you don't need to know all the ins and outs of what's going on 
in an image scan to be able to benefit from the idea that, yeah, if your image scan comes up with a big red flag saying there's a vulnerability that you probably shouldn't hit the button to deploy that, you know. Um, so I think the tooling is, is improving to help um, your average developer stroke ops person do sensible things with regard to security. Um, but yeah, it, it's also requires sort of good hygiene around those things like where you put your credentials and it only takes one person to just forget and put their login somewhere where it's accessible and bad things will happen. Accidentally committed to GitHub and before you know it, you are the biggest Bitcoin miner that you never knew existed. Right. <laughs> the, the funny, funny enough, it's happened to me before. Uh, I've definitely committed in like uh, my Bash profile and and submitted credentials, and GitHub bots have picked them up and done things with it and things like that. So it's, it happens so quickly as well, and it's so scary. I also feel like the rate at which new services and products are coming out is just so rapid and so fast. And my concern is is that the rate at which we are building new products and services, we aren't building security measures and, and products to, to counterattack like the, the the surface area that we expose with the, the new new tools and products, especially things like you know serverless when Amazon released Lambda long time ago. And now pretty much every cloud provider has a function as a service or like a server, serverless offerings with, you know, things like ACS. So where do you think, do you think things are getting more complex to kind of tame or are things that get, or can we even make it simpler in terms of security? I, I think you're completely right that as we have all these new tools and these new sort of environments available, you know, for every advance in, um, I don't know, good technology. It, there is potentially some new exploit that's going to be uncovered. So, yeah, it's a never-ending arms race, I guess. Um, but, you know, we're still also uncovering exploits from that have been sitting around for 20 years. So it's, um, it's not just because we're creating new tools and new environments and new platforms. Um, and the exploits that probably exist that we don't know exists because nobody's released it as an O-Day yet. They're right. just quietly using it. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's kind of a, a never ending puzzle, I guess, but that, you know, we, there's no reason to hold back progress. Right. And, but it, and it gives people like us at Aqua, um, you know, new challenges in terms of developing tools to protect, um, for example, those services like ACS and, and, um, you know, container as a services, container as a service uh, platforms. Um, you'll be seeing something around that very soon from us. That's super exciting. Where do we begin? I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm your typical developer or DevOps pr practitioner. You know, potentially, I don't even understand the landscape enough to to recognize all of the 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 vectors that that I can apply these sort of simple um, simple processes and hygiene factors too is there any kind of can you sort of think of any good starting points are there people to follow on Twitter other than yourself obviously and you know any good sort of blogs or I mean the aqua site's got some pretty nice ebooks which are, are free to free to read and that's so that's cool what sort of resources should we be looking at to just improve our knowledge 
Yeah, that's, that is a great question. And I, um, in addition to the things that we have on the Apple blog, obviously, which are great, um, there's been some really good talks at um, the KubeCons over the last year. I've, I've been kind of looking at them myself over the last uh, last few weeks, um, partly for sort of you know my own education and partly for looking at things related to, to my role at, at KubeCon. Um, and uh, yeah, there's some there's some real gold in in some of those, um, particularly because of the way that Kubernetes is evolving and adding new features. You know, our back is certainly less than a year old. Um, things like uh, better handling of secrets that are you know coming into that platform and, and improving all the time. Um, so that's a good resource. Um, there are, I mean, Jess Frizzell occasionally is still tweeting great things about security. Always, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew Martin, I, I think he's Sublimino. He is often tweeting some interesting things. Um, he's another, um, you know, based in London container security uh, person worth following. Um, yeah, and the kind of digging into some of these security stories, you know, often there's a research team who have uncovered it. I'm thinking about um, the Tesla thing that came out just recently, and it was um, uncovered by a research team at Redlock, and they've got a great blog about that. Um, a lot of those things are quite accessible to read. You know, you, I think there is a bit of a sense that security is this world of black hats and white hats and really scary terminology. And there are definitely, you know, there's some jargon that, that goes around. But also there's lots of things that are actually quite accessible if you just read them and, and apply some kind of common sense. So on on the the sort of the the Tesla and the Kubernetes thing, will you be sending Elon a copy of your your book on Kubernetes security then to? Well, for them to send into space. <laughs> no, I mean, it's I think it's easy done though, right? I mean, it, a lot of software is complicated to operate, and it's very very easy to make a mistake. And obviously, if you if you accidentally make your control plane public and even though if it's if it's not obviously public somebody's going to find that link what are the kind of the other things that you're going to you're going to cover in your book around sort of kubernetes security you know the, again the, the basic hygiene factors that we can all all do and just get those good patterns and practices into our daily workflow yeah so there are lots of good features and good sort of settings in in kubernetes you know uh, I'm, I'm going to mention the, the CIS security controls as well, because I think they're a good starting point for making sure that your deployment is set up in a, well according to best practices. So the CIS is the Center for Internet Security, and they publish all these uh, different guidelines around how to secure various bits of software running in your host um, and uh, they have a docker benchmark they have a kubernetes benchmark um, i've been involved in a, a project called kubebench which is on github an open source project that you can run on your nodes and it will check the status of all these different controls that the cis would recommend you put in place and some of them are, are you know really 
very, very obviously sensible things to have, like, you know, don't have your API server open to HTTP traffic, that kind of thing. Um, so you can just run those tests and... Um, uh, in fact, we've seen it uh, put together with Sonoboy so that you could run it across all of your um, deployment all in one go. That's a, a really nice uh, way of doing it. Uh, or, you know, you can use Aqua's product, which automatically runs Keybench and uh, the Docker equivalent and gives you a kind of visual guide to whether or not your deployment is in compliance with these things. Um, so that's a, a good place to start in terms of having sensible settings on your your Docker setting and your your Kubernetes deployment. I suppose it's it's like um, having a burglar alarm. That you, if you a burglar alarm is not necessarily going to stop you from being burgled, but the more difficult you make it for somebody, the less likely I suppose they're they're going to come after you. Yeah, but, and, and as soon as you say burglar alarm, that really makes me think about um, some of the other things that are really great about you know security products where they can alert you to unusual behavior. So you know if your burglar alarm is going to sound alarm if a window gets opened and you weren't expecting it, um, in much the same way, a product like Acura is going to alert you to... Um, maybe network traffic that is not expected or um, the stuff that I think is fantastic around um, executables running inside your containers that weren't expected. Um, so this is what really um, just uh, I found so impressive when I first saw the Aqua product when I was sort of meeting the team where you, you might have a container and say it's, um, well, so it's a microservice, and so it probably only runs one executable. Maybe it does two or three things right at the start of day to, to initialize. But there's almost certainly no reason for it to be doing something like curl, you know, right. or um, doing any kind of um, network executables. So you can either not build those executables into the container image, or you could use a tool like Aqua to police whether or not it's being run. And if it is being run, whoa, this is probably a bad thing, you know, that you can have that burglar alarm going off. I, I guess that would, would also pick up things like, well, for, for example, in the, the latest Struts vulnerability, which allowed eval. Yeah. So if, if somebody just tries to install a piece of software by evaluating some, some code in JavaScript or something like that to to get the container to download, then then of course the the alarm's going to go off because it's hey this this binary should not be in this container it should not be running it could give you that early warning system to let you know that you've either been breached or that potentially somebody is trying to do it right now absolutely yeah 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 I also feel like the reality of the situation is is that like people end up using what's in upstream and they trust the upstream. So they would just say, hey, like, give me all of Ubuntu or give me all of this in my container. And then by default, they get all these other things that aren't, that aren't supposed to be there that they aren't aware of. And then they, they, they think like it, this image is optimized for uh, running as a container image. And, you know, all I need to do is put my app on it and I'm good to go. So I, I feel like a lot of people need to be educated there as well that, you know, 
which just you know you should use like things like Alpine, and there's a reason why they you know they they, they have images that are really small in size and, and are optimized for containers versus like using uh, asking for Ruby and getting like pretty much the internet. So I, I feel like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very, very language dependent. You know, I know I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Golang and a lot of Go programmers will use a scratch image, but we have the, you know, the luxury of a language that will build into a single binary executable. So that's kind of easy to do. But if you're using Ruby or Python or Java, you know, you've got dependencies like crazy and yeah, it's hard to manage that stuff. But but even in Golang, you have a lot of dependencies. I mean, personally, I came up with the idea, and I'm playing the long game on this, that I'm trying to come up with a bunch of dependencies that become commonplace in everybody's software. And I've actually engineered some my own backdoors that harvests credentials and start my own Bitcoin miners, which, which I think are going to kick in in about five years. Nice. Five years' time once I get more than one star on those. But... I mean, is that a very real threat? Could could somebody through social engineering potentially sort of action a pull request in a, in a popular dependency library, which then gets pulled downstream? We all start using it in our applications. And before we know it, we, we're, we're sort of open and vulnerable. Yeah, it's a really great point. I mean, I guess it is the truth of open source that we're using and trusting well you know a lot of projects will be requiring reviews and and obviously the source code is there for you to look at it but yeah you're absolutely right if a project did get some sneaky backdoor built into it that nobody spotted who knows i guess one of the interesting things though is what that backdoor does so it's one thing for, you know, suppose your backdoor comes into my container deployment and it starts doing its thing. Um, if that thing has no real effect, it doesn't really matter. It's when it starts doing network traffic that, you know, you really have to get concerned. You know, for, for an exploit to be useful, it's got to... Um, well, let's say we're, we're trying to get hold of data. It's got to get hold of that data and it's got to exfiltrate that data out to the bad guy. And both of those things are potentially um, things that could be stopped by security products, whether it's you know, firewalls for the, for the network traffic or um, something like runtime protection to detect that it's doing something crazy. Egress firewalls, that's, that's something that... I mean, I may or may not just have a, an open star on, on a, an outbound firewall traffic. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think that, I mean, that's potentially a simple, a simple thing to do. And I think, yeah, actually, Misha probably knows more about this, but like the Kubernetes pattern of the, the sort of single pod, is that, is that kind of model of restricting that, that network traffic inbound and outbound something we should all think about? Yeah, I had a question. Like, I, I actually wanted to explore like the Kubernetes security model a little bit more because I find it really interesting. I really like the flat network that you know a pod can talk to any other pod, uh, and you can do like you know things like gRPC and things like that become super simple to implement in a in a network model like that. And it's DNS based service discovery, so pretty much everything understands DNS. Uh, so, what do you think? Like, what are the common problems you see with uh, Kubernetes having this open security model and mistakes that people make like again and again and again 
Um, I think to start with, let's, um, you know, it's not necessarily wrong to have that, you know, and every organization has to think about what risks there really are. You know, if you're running, uh, you know, I, let's start at a really sort of small end, you know, if you're running your personal blog on Kubernetes and you've got like, you know, some WordPress containers, it doesn't really matter, you know, whereas if you're an Equifax type organization, you're going to have to be a lot more risk aware or you damn well should be a lot more risk aware. Um, so first of all, it's all a question of, of looking at your, your risk level. Um, and looking at what's running on your cluster, you know, if you've got, um, you know, some organizations have loads of different teams all sharing the same cluster with maybe different levels of trust. And in that environment, perhaps allowing pod to pod traffic, you know, is not what you want. Um, uh, yeah, there are lots of different ways to cut up that problem. You know, you could um, you, you could put them onto different clusters. You know, um, or you know, it's it's one of the things that we do at Aqua around um, policing what containers are allowed to to talk to which other containers and um, to kind of restrict that kind of pod to pod traffic. Um, but it, it, it is a, a genuine concern because you know when Nick's bad exploit makes its way into the container that I've trusted from him and, and pulled into my pod. Yeah. If that container starts trying to access, it's, it's really common for, for an exploit to just try and explore the network around, I mean, whether it's container based or host based, just try and explore the network and see what, what addresses are accessible, what ports are open, all that kind of stuff. Um, and being able to limit that, it, which you can do for, it makes a lot of sense to do that for microservices because they don't have a lot of reason to be talking to lots and lots of different things. So, so we have to be, I guess, pragmatic about what we're securing. We've, we've got to really kind of look at the the risks involved, but, but also it seems that both a proactive approach is, is not necessarily the the, the the only sort of uh, way to do it. We've got to have an active, um, an active approach to our security vulnerability detection for for things that may start after a container has been built or, or uh, the, to, to trap vulnerabilities which are injected somehow at, at runtime. If if your organization is the kind of organization that has you know things that it really needs to protect. Runtime protection is really powerful and a really good thing. But you wouldn't just use that in isolation. You know, you want to combine runtime protection with, um, you know, the, the basic image scanning, with automating, you know, whatever you can do to um, continuously check that you haven't left your secrets sitting in your GitHub repo. Um, you know, it's one of the things that we have in our image scanning is to make sure that you don't have secrets sitting in your Docker files. That's another obvious source for people to kind of out of laziness isn't even the world. It isn't even the word. It's it's just it's easy to do, isn't it? Um, it's it's easy to make a mistake, right? I mean, you you could you're just using a file as a scratch disk. You forget about it, and before you know it, you're under pressure. You you don't do a um, a full check on a patch before you push it, and 
before yeah you you push your code it's in it's in github and like i did a couple of couple of years ago it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the best to be honest i may or may not have done exactly the same thing I, I've quite often put together demos where I, you know, I have for whatever reason put some token into a Docker file because it's just a demo. It's the easy thing. And I feel terrible for it because it's not the right thing to do. I was doing some live coding on Friday and um, I was demonstrating about protecting your secrets in Terraform. <laughs> So I've saying use environment variables. Don't don't leak your tokens into um, into GitHub and stuff like this. And I went to the trouble of actually having a special top secret thing on my recording, so that I could wipe out my screen whilst I was adding the uh, API token to uh, my environment variables. And then, of course, I removed it, went back, and just left it completely in plain view of my web browser. So. Right. It's easy done. And, and environment variables, there's a real um, issue where when your software crashes, your environment will often get logged. And, you know, again, it's a kind of an easy way for secrets to get lost inadvertently. You know, nobody needs to do anything bad, but the people who read your log files, the set of people in your organization who should have access to your log files is not the set of people necessarily who should have access to your production keys and tokens and you don't necessarily know you know you don't notice that you've logged your environment when uh you know something crashed so again good hygiene because actually if if i can force your application to crash and you are just dumping the stack out to me then potentially i can get your your end vars that way what, what so what what can we do i mean we we shouldn't necessarily bake well we shouldn't necessarily we shouldn't bake secrets into images um dynamic secret allocation obviously that's a good thing but environment variables are a problem how do we how do we kind of manage these secrets in, in to avoid them from from leaking out are there any tips so there are two ways to get uh, information into a container other than it being in the image in the first place. And those two ways are environment variables or mounting a file. And the environment variable method, we're all kind of taught 12-factor apps has kind of put us in this mindset of putting configuration information into environment variables. And there's nothing wrong with it apart from this logging right. issue. Um, the other method you can use is, is mounting files. And uh, particularly if you mount a temporary file, so it's not actually written to disk and it, you know, it's only ever in memory, that can be a really nice way of getting secret values into a container. You have to figure out how to populate that file in the first place. Um, there's work going on in Kubernetes, for example, to, to do that. Um, Aqua has a really nice solution for, for doing that across lots of different orchestrators. And you also have to figure out it, you know, the key has to be somewhere in the first place before you can inject it into the container. And that's where things like HashiCorp Vault are really nice solutions for being the place that you store the key kind of long term and you can get that out and push it into the containers at runtime. Because it's, um, I think it is quite interesting that the, 12, the whole 12 factor uh, model, and I think we were talking about this just the other day, Mishra. You, you had some interesting comments on the 12 factor app model. 
Yeah, like I, I feel like the twelve factor app model was in in you know in the time when it came out, it had amazing guides, had really good code base, um, you know. Uh, had like ideas about how to do logging, how to do build the bill processing, uh, and managing you know your dependencies. So, do you think there is a similar guide for uh, securing an application? I haven't seen that, and I don't know if you can do that in a really language agnostic way. Um, I think that would be really hard. I wish I wish we would have like a guide for like you know building or like a uh, you know your developer process uh, when you uh, when you approach you know writing a, a cloud native secure app or something. Uh, but I feel I feel like if if people are doing their due diligence, then most of these common mistakes can can be avoided. I feel. Yeah, I mean, I've seen various talks and and, and and webinars and what have you around kind of best practices for you know the general security of your Kubernetes deployment, your Docker deployment, or you know your orchestrated deployment. But a lot of that is not relevant to the application developer, and I think that's where maybe there is a, a gap and probably needs to be really quite language specific to, to educate people on what what the best patterns are. I suppose you also get things like um, Istio that are trying to um, make it easier for, well, they mean that developers don't have to keep rewriting the same um, code for things like securing endpoints and what have you. And, and KubeCon is coming up. There's, there's probably some good opportunities to learn some some good stuff but there, I guess, people giving talks and things. We had a huge number of submissions about Istio um, in particular. There's also a security track at KubeCon. So there will be lots of opportunity to learn about um, security in that kind of cloud native environment. Absolutely. And yeah, you get to meet Liz, uh, you know, firsthand, which is pretty amazing. I'm, I'm looking forward to it if I get to go to KubeCon. <laughs> oh, I hope you do. Yeah. <laughs> We're gone. We're there. And Copenhagen, what a, it's really good. Copenhagen's a lovely city. It is really nice. We're um, we're just going to book some book up some tickets, and we'll we'll just file the expenses under, I know something something else. Hashicast production expenses. Yeah. You should do like a Hashicast live or something while you're there. Liz, can we? Okay, one second, Liz. Can we have you as part of like our board of directors that is like overseeing, overseeing Hashicast productions? If there's a thing like that, I think we should start Hashicast. <laughs> I've got a better idea, Liz. Would you like to be our roving reporter at KubeCon? Oh, I, let's think about that. I'm going to have a lot of work at KubeCon. <laughs> But you should definitely come, and I would definitely uh, give you some time. That would be for sure. Liz, it's been absolutely fantastic, as always, uh, talking to you. I really appreciate the time that you've taken, uh, and it's been super, super interesting. There is one final and less serious question that we have for you. If you were going to be any cyclist, that's any cyclist, which cyclist would you be and why? So I'm going to say Katie Archibald, who is a track cyclist, partly because like me with my Zwifting, you know, if you're riding on the track, you don't have to go out in the bad weather. And also because she's a pretty decent writer and quite fun on Twitter. So that's kind of aspirational for me. 
Track cyclists are super tough. What about you, Misha? You're, um, you know nothing about cycling, do you? So which, uh, which cyclist would you be? No. I would be Liz. I would just be Liz. And I'm just going to say that. Like, the, yeah, like I have, I have, I got nothing. All I know is like Liz does this virtual realities uh, um, cycling competition, which I would love to watch live. Uh, the the World Cup will be streamed live. I will be. Okay, well, we're going to watch it then. That's awesome. We're going to share the link for that as well, I think. We got it. it. It'll be unpleasant. I'll be sweating and that will be live streamed. It'll be. Yeah, but it will. The, actually, the racing can be really fun to watch. You can see what's going on. It's, it's pretty exciting. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you, Liz. Very welcome. It's been really good fun. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to HashiCast with your hosts, Nick and Mishra. Today's guests being the wonderful Liz Rice from Aqua Security. Be sure to tune in next time.